Hey, that really was a great event. Hopefully, um, if you weren't there, you'll be there next year and bring some friends. Hey, I want to welcome everybody. Welcome you guys inside. Welcome those outside as well. I think we may even have a picture of them. There's old uh, Deacon Sutton out there I see now. Praise God for him. Somebody needs to. So, uh, hey, a lot of you guys know that um, growing up, we didn't go to church as a family, but you may not know that I oftentimes went to church with our neighbors. And when I was just a little guy in Delaware, we had some neighbors across the street uh, by the name of the Dills. And I remember one or two times they took me to church on a Sunday night. And then when we moved to California, we had some other neighbors across the street. Their name were the Bells, and they took us to church um, occasionally on a Sunday morning and for vacation Bible school. And um, I don't know where it happened or, or when it happened exactly. They were both great um, Baptist families. But I learned this song, and it has stuck with me, and I even remember the movements to it. And, and I wonder if you guys remember this. It was called, I'm in the Lord's Army. And, and it sort of went like this, said, I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery. I may never soar over the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. Anybody remember that? Okay. You probably don't remember it quite like that. Um, But I have fond memories of that song for some reason. It it has always stuck with me. And, And Thursday, I was preparing the sermon And um, some of the staff were outside my office distracting me, just being disruptive. And so uh, I I went out there and I asked them, I said, hey, do you guys remember this song, I'm in the Lord's Army? And then almost in unison, they start singing it and doing the motions, you know? And I was like, isn't that fun? And they all had smiles on their faces. And we could tell, like, this song brought back fond memories. But I wonder, have we ever stopped to think about the implications of being in the Lord's army. Have you ever stopped to think of the implications of being in the Lord's army? And I was thinking of some of those, and I want to focus on those this morning, things like faith and obedience, trust. Those are all requirements for those who are in the Lord's army. And we're going to see that play out um, in Joshua chapter 6 here. So it's on page 211. If you have a church Bible you want to follow along, feel free. Just to bring you up to speed, um, by now, the entire Israelite community, with the exception of some of the the men, um, probably some of the the young men and and women uh, from the two tribes and the half-tribes of of, uh, Manasseh, they stayed back on, on the eastern shore of the Jordan. The rest of the folks have moved across the Jordan. Remember, God performed a miracle and held back the water, and the Israelites made it across. Now they're camped on the other side of the Jordan, right before the city of Jericho. Now, Jericho was a fortified city. It was one of the biggest, most awesome cities of its day. We're, We're told that the outer walls were six feet thick and 20 feet high. And then there was an inner wall as well. And it was 12 feet thick and 30 feet high. And so I would imagine, if you were to look at it in that day and time, you would have thought, this is impenetrable. There's no way you could take this city. Well, um, Mark did a great job sharing last week. If you didn't catch all that, you need to go watch that. But um, 
he talked about, and I'll, I'll use a little different term, of how once they crossed over, instead of making their plans to, to uh, take the city, they actually consecrated themselves for the Lord. So that's a, a nice word, right? You can go listen to his sermon and see what he was talking about. But anyhow, so they consecrated themselves to the Lord, and then they renewed this, this promise, this covenant that God had entered into with Abraham, and then they celebrated Passover. This was a remembrance of what God had done some 40 years prior as he delivered the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. And so this is the time of celebration and preparation. But now it was also the time to fight. It was the time to fight for the land. So we're going to pick up in verse 1. It says, Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out. And no one came in. No one went out. And no one came in. And I find this interesting. So you have the inhabitants of this city, and it is this fortified city. You would think that they would be in the best position possible, that they would now be the aggressors. I mean, they're coming up against a bunch of wanderers, and yet they are overwhelmed with fear. They have locked up the gates. They are shuddering behind those fortified walls because they had heard the stories of what God had done for the Israelites. They had heard the stories of his provision, of his deliverance. They had heard the stories of how they had been able to defeat other armies who were much more formidable than they were, and they cowered in fear. The the battle was already won, but it still had to be fought. The battle was already won, but it still had to be fought. Now let's pick up in verse 2. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone, straight in. Now, imagine, if you will, that Joshua is the general and God is the commander in chief. And, and God is telling them the plan for how they're going to take the city. And it is this extremely unorthodox plan, isn't it? It, It's crazy. It sounds ridiculous. Um, And especially when you think the key players in this plan are seven priests with seven trumpets made out of ram's horns. Those are the key players in this conquest. It doesn't make any sense. It's really ridiculous. I've got a Friend here, Larry Necessary, is going to come up. He has one of these ram's horns. Um, he got it from the Holy Land, and it's called a shofar. So that's the really cool name for it. It's a shofar. And so Larry has been lib- limbering up his lips, and he is going <laughs> to blow the shofar for us so that we can get a sense of what it would have sounded like. That was very well done, Larry. All right, 
That's the primary offensive weapon. Is that going to make you very confident? Probably not. But was it effective? That's what we're going to see. Now, pick up in verse 6. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, Advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. Now, do you remember what the ark of the covenant, the ark of the Lord represented? That's right, God's presence. So the ark of the covenant represented God's presence. Now, this was highly unusual. Typically, the priests would not go into battle, and they would not take the Ark of the Covenant into battle either. I believe the reason God wanted the Ark of the Covenant, representing his presence, to go into battle was to make sure that everybody knows that the battle was his. This battle was his. And what was required of them was faith, trust, and obedience. They needed to have faith, they needed to trust him, and they needed to obey him. Now, um, look at verse 8. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout, then shout. So here's what's transpiring. Um, They do what he says, and and they get up the next morning, and the the priests take the Ark of the Covenant, and, and... They begin to head out, and before them are are the seven priests, and they're blowing their horns. And before them, there's a guard. There are soldiers before them. There are soldiers behind them. There are hundreds of thousands of soldiers. I want you to get that picture, hundreds of thousands of soldiers. And they go, and they march around the city one time. And can you imagine hundreds of thousands of soldiers completely quiet? Not a whisper, not a word. And the only noise that you can hear is that shofar. And that is ringing out. And then as soon as they were finished, they made their way back to camp. And the next day came, and they did the same thing. For six days they did this. Now, I want you to try and imagine that you're one of the people of Jericho, and you're in the city. What is going through your mind? It must have been, in a way, terrifying, I think, to see hundreds of thousands of soldiers marching around your city, not making a sound, and yet you hear these seven trumpets going time and time again. It says, without ceasing, they just continued to blow that. God was playing some serious mind games with the people of Jericho. Now, the next part is going to be more interactive. So I'm going to continue to call on Larry to do his thing over there. But men, I need you guys to step up. I I don't like doing this when somebody asks me to, but I'm going to ask you to do it nonetheless. So um, at one point in here, I'm going to say, actually two different times I will do this, 
I'm going to get to the point where Joshua says, shout. And I need you guys to really shout like you mean it, all right? Like, give me your best war cry, all right? Pretend like if you're a tech fan, that you're at a tech game, right? Like, and you're getting excited. Not yesterday, but like on a different, different Saturday, right? Like, imagine that. Get that kind of bubbling up inside of you. Okay, you ready? So here's what happens. 15. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, much better. Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Shout. Beautiful. And the walls came tumbling down. The walls came tumbling down. But here's what happened next. Before they went and charged into the city straight up, they remembered the instructions and the warning that Joshua had given them. Listen to this. It said, The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she had the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. Notice the instructions. Everything in the city is God's. Everything in the city is God's. And and those precious metals, the gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron, all of it is to go into his treasury. This is to provide for his house, his tabernacle, his future temple. It's to provide for those who serve him in direct ministry. That was one of the instructions. The second one was to spare Rahab. Do you guys remember Rahab? We talked about Rahab. We met Rahab a a few weeks ago. She was the prostitute who protected the spies who had come to really do reconnaissance of of the area. And so um, the second instruction was spare Rahab and everybody in her household. So all of her family members, all of their servants, all of their animals, they're all to be spared. So that was the second instruction. And there was a warning. There was a warning. Do not take anything for yourself. Do not take anything for yourself. Because if you do, you will bring destruction, and terrible things upon you and your household, but upon the entire community of the Israelites. Those were the instructions and the warning. So let's see what plays out. Are you all ready? This is the interactive part yet again. So when the trumpet sounded, beautiful, the army shouted, And the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. 
They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with a sword every living thing in it. Men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, Go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother, her brothers and sisters, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it. But they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. At that time, Joshua promised this solemn oath, cursed before the Lord is the one who undertakes to rebuild this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay its foundations. At the cost of his youngest, he will set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout the land. What an incredible story of conquest. Maybe the most unlikely military strategy ever. And what do we see in the midst of this? We see God's presence. We see his presence. And we see his power. And we see his promises being realized. Now, I began this morning by talking about the fond memories that many of us have of that song, I'm in the Lord's Army, right? And um, I challenge us to think about the implications of what it means to truly be in the Lord's Army, that it requires certain things like faith and trust and obedience. And I, and I want to ask you guys, if you're willing, I'm, I'm just curious, like maybe just raise your hand a little bit if, if, if you're uncomfortable, but would you say you have faith in God? If you have faith in God, maybe just like raise your hand just a, a little bit. All right. Um, let me ask you another question. How, how many of you would say that like you trust in God? Do you trust God? All right. Now I'm going to test that. And we're going to see if, if you're really telling the truth. So imagine God comes to you and says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to march around a city, the city of Roanoke, one time. I don't want you to say a thing. And I'm going to have some priests, and they're going to go before you, and they're going to blow these horns. And I want you to do that today. And then I want you to do it tomorrow. And for six days, I want you to do that. And on the seventh day, we're going to do it seven times. And then... When you hear that long blast of the trumpet, I want you to rush in. Do you think you'd do that? Do you really trust God enough to do that? Maybe. How about this? What if he says then uh, on the seventh day when, when you rush in, I want you to pull a sword and I want you to kill every living being. Every person you see, every animal you come in contact with. Would you do it? 
Do you really trust God? See, it, that would be really difficult, wouldn't it? And, and it calls into question, do we really have faith in God? Do we really trust him? And are we willing to obey him, even when we don't really agree with what he's saying, what he's commanding? Are we going to obey him, even if we don't quite understand why in the world he would have us do something like this? It calls into question, if we are truly with God, if we are in the Lord's army, do we trust him? Do we have faith in him? Will we obey him? And that's, that's a challenging, challenging thing. Um, some of you know our, our oldest son, Andrew, is in the United States Army. And he's a captain, and he's been stationed in Germany for the last three years. And he just completed a command of a rocket battery. And I decided to call him up this, this week and just ask him about the importance of, of obeying the commands, the orders that you're given, and even some of the ramifications. And he said, Dad, it's imperative that you obey the commands. It's imperative. Not only is it imperative, he said, it's illegal if you don't. It's illegal if you don't obey a command. And then um, I was just asking some of the, the repercussions. What are the consequences of disobeying? And if you look at Article 92 of the UCMJ, this is what it says that this says the uh, penalties for violating or failing to obey a lawful general order or regulation include dishonorable discharge, forfeiture of pay and allowances, and or no more than two years of confinement. And in a time of war, the death penalty. In a time of war, the death penalty. In a time of war, if you fail to obey a command, you can be put to death. Okay. As a soldier in the United States Army, you are taught you have to have faith in those above you. You have to trust that they know more than you do, that they may be privy to certain information that you are not, that you have to trust that they have your general well-being or the general well-being of the people in mind, and you have to obey. And if you do not obey, there will be serious consequences, and in a time of war, it could cost you your life because disobedience may cost the lives of others. It is very, very serious to be in the United States Army and to be under authority. Like the United States Army, it's very, very serious to be in God's army. And we are called to have faith, to trust, and to obey, even when we don't fully understand things and we don't maybe under or agree with the, the command that's coming down. We still are called to obey. And if we don't, there are serious consequences. If you look at the Israelites and, and their conquest of Jericho... It's hard, isn't it, to, to wrap your mind around the fact that God said for them to go in and, and wipe out every living person and every living animal. That's difficult, isn't it? We don't like to see God like that. You know, we want the kinder, gentler version of God. 
And yet God is a God of justice. God is a God of justice. And justice was that they would all die. They would all die. You know what justice also would have been? That all the Israelites died too. That would have been justice as well. Because just like the people of Jericho who worshipped idols, um, did all kinds of things in rebellion to God, even child sacrifices and things that are like unimaginable to us, the Israelites were guilty of similar things, right? They weren't perfect people. They had worshipped idols. They had turned their backs on God. Justice would have been that they all got wiped out. But then there was God's grace. And for some reason, he spared Rahab. Not only Rahab, like we might be able to say, okay, I can understand why he spared Rahab because she protected the spies, right? But her whole family and, and their servants and everything that they had, they were all spared. Why? I don't know. It's just God's grace. It was God's grace. So we see justice and mercy at work at the same time. And we don't know what would have happened if the Israelites had not followed God's orders and wiped out everybody. Who knows what horrible things would have happened in the days and the years to come. We don't know. We just have to trust that God knew that he is an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving God. We have to trust him, even if we don't fully understand him or even agree with him. We have to trust in his nature and who he is. Now, I think about those people of Jericho. Remember what it said? They locked themselves behind the gates. They, they took refuge and security behind those fortified walls. I'm guessing they could have made their way out and just surrendered and been spared. Rahab was spared and her whole family. Why couldn't they have come and surrendered to God and been spared? I don't see any reason why they couldn't have, but they didn't. Instead, they held up behind the walls that they had erected, and that's where they sought their own security and salvation. And, and I wonder about us. How are we sometimes like the people of Jericho? You know, maybe we're fearful of God, but instead of surrendering our lives to him, we hold up behind these, these walls that we've erected that we hope will give us the security and the safety that we so desperately need. Maybe, maybe we find our, our, our security in, in the amount of money we've been able to save or amass. You know, maybe our security is found in our superior intellect. Maybe our security is found in our family. I don't know. What walls or fortified cities, if you will, that we've erected that we run to to find our security instead of running to God and surrendering and falling down before him, trusting that he is an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving God. 
even though he may command us to do some things that we don't fully understand and maybe don't even agree with. There are some difficult things um, that God has done and that God calls us to. I think it's important that we do recognize that we are in the midst of warfare. We see it taking place around the world, and it's always been the case from the beginning of time. There's always been warfare, and there's a battle between good and evil. Whether you want to recognize it or not, we see that taking place. There are holy wars going on around the world, but there's a spiritual battle going on that we cannot see. It's important that we recognize we have an enemy. There's an enemy who wants to kill us and destroy us, and he is sly. He is slick, and he has some covert means of doing it, some great means of deception. We have to acknowledge that we are in a battle, and then we have to choose. Are we going to be in the Lord's army or not? And I don't know about you, but as much as I sometimes fear being obedient to God, you know what I fear more? Being disobedient to God. I'm more afraid of being disobedient to God than I am of being obedient to God, even though I don't quite always understand or even agree with what God may say. And and here's the thing. There's going to be suffering. We've all experienced suffering, have we not? We've all experienced death and the loss of loved ones and even dreams. There's going to be suffering. But when I'm suffering... I want to make sure that I'm suffering with God and not apart from God. I want to make sure that I'm suffering with God and not apart from God. I want to face opposition from others instead of opposition from God. Right? I want to be in God's army. And in the end, just like the song goes, I hope and pray that my response would be, Yes, sir. How about you? Let's pray. Dear God, this is, this is fun. We had fun sort of telling the story and playing it out, but it's serious too. And, and if we're honest, there's a lot of difficult things about having faith in anything, but even faith in you, Lord. It's hard to understand why you might tell your soldiers to go in and wipe out every living being, but you did. And we trust that you had a reason for that. Lord, help us with with our own doubts, our own unbelief, our own questioning. Help us to really learn to trust you, to know who you are, a God who can do no wrong, that is absent of evil. And help us to recognize that we are in the midst of a battle. There is evil in the world. We do have an enemy that wants to kill and destroy us. May we be found securely walking in obedience, step by step with you, enjoying your protection as you go before us and you go behind us. We thank you for for your grace, even though we don't deserve it, because honestly, God, we deserve destruction. And yet, for some reason, you've been gracious and you've chosen us and you've lifted us out and called us your own. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. We ask it all in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.